Theology Gals, Episode 19, The Work of the Holy Spirit. Knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. We're a podcast for women on the Bible Thumping Wing Net Network, and I'm Colleen Sharp. My co-host Ashley Glassick is in Italy this week, and so I actually have a special guest host, and she's going to be guest hosting this week and next week, and we actually switch some things around. We were going to do next week's episode this week. And for reasons I'll explain later, we're actually doing this episode this week. And my, so my co-host this week is Marissa Namir, and she's a gal from our group and so much wisdom and knowledge. And that's why I asked her to co-host with me this week and next week. And Marissa, before we get started, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? My name Yes, Marissa. Um, We um, have been reformed actually for a short time. We've we've been reforming Baptists for many years. Um, And I know that that has been a discussion in the group. What does reformed actually mean? So trying to make sure that words words are what they actually mean. I think that's important. I think that's good. um, Reforming Baptists. Yeah. You reform. You were Baptists who were reforming and ended up completely reformed. Yes, exactly. So I am uh, the wife of Mark Namir. He is. Uh, I like to identify myself with him and Christ first and foremost. I'm a mother. Three girls. My oldest just turned 25 yesterday, which is crazy since I'm only 29. And in addition to that, I am a licensed counselor. That's uh, the other hat that I wear, um, which which becomes very useful in the church. Um, the Lord has given me the ability to use that gift in a variety of different contexts, in, including Facebook. <laughs> I'm right. sure you understand that. Um, yeah, yeah, I actually call on you often <laughs> when I'm like, um, I'm not sure what to do, Marissa, about this situation. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, it's, it's a big deal to have people's trust in that, that way, um, telling you things that they would never necessarily tell anyone else. They just need help. Um, and 
and ministry. Um, uh, we're starting a ministry through our church called uh, Proverbs 2411 Outreach. Uh, that is abortion clinic ministry. I was actually going to ask you to say a little bit about that. So I'm glad you brought that up because you do a lot of, a lot of abortion clinic work, right? I do. Uh, well, we try to, it's, it's, um, it's something that I think is a, a frontline need, um, you know, just to be there. There's a lot of girls in our culture who do not come from any kind of a Christian background. We live in a post-Christian society and they may not even be aware that there is such a thing as a crisis pregnancy center. That's true. A place where they can go um, to hear about what abortion actually is. Our culture is full of lies um, with regard to the preborn child. So the foundation of what we do is the gospel, of course. And, uh, we want people to understand their sin and their need of a savior. So that's why we're there. We point them to Christ away from the the death camps and, you know, we try to build a relationship with them. It's evangelism goes beyond just them hearing the gospel. We want them to be in relationship with other believers in a local church, things like that. So it's a lot. <laughs> That's a big ministry. It takes a lot of time and effort and concern. I think that's that's great. I think it's, you know, I, I don't know a lot about other abortion ministries, but I think that absolutely has to be the focus, the gospel. And it's great that you're not just, okay, don't get an abortion and then leaving them hanging, that you're pointing them to the local church and continuing relationships with others in the body of Christ. Exactly. There's no, I mean, someone might change if they hear, um, you know, what they're about to do. They have, maybe they haven't heard that before. No one's actually confronted them with it. Maybe they don't want to think about what abortion actually is. Yeah. But, so we tell them they might change their mind just based on that. But at the root of it, where are they with God? You know, where are they? Are they are they going to continue to live in their sin? Or are they going to look to Christ and change the pattern of their lives by his power? We want to be there to plant the seeds and let just look to the Lord to do the, the rest of the work. That's great. One of, one of the admins from the group actually works full time at a crisis pregnancy center. Oh, is that so, um, Abby? Yes. Yeah, we have yeah, interacted. Abby. She's a sweet girl. And it's great that there's places like that, you know, out there. And I think you're right. I think a lot of people don't know that Planned Parenthood or the local abortion clinic, some of, some of them really do sell themselves as, oh, if you're pregnant, we'll help you. Exactly. Help. <laughs> yeah. We'll help you take care of the problem is almost more like they approach it. So. Well, that's great, Marissa. I'm glad that you talked a little bit about that. Well, I wanted, before we get into the subject, I wanted to talk a little bit about why I changed things around this week and what we're going to be talking about last week. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and listen to it. We did an episode on private revelation and God's will. And a lot of it focused on 
you know, does God give us messages outside of his word? Does he talk audibly to us? Does he give you messages in your mind? Does he give you special feelings to tell you which direction to turn? And I, I knew some people would take issue with it. I didn't, I wasn't quite expecting some of the pushback and there was a lot more I'd wanted to talk to about last week and I had so much more information than we were able to get to and I wasn't able to get to really focusing on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Last week I focused a little bit more on the sufficiency of scripture and so we wanted to continue that topic with a greater emphasis on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And one thing I did, I quick picked up Michael Horton's book, his new book on the Holy Spirit. It is excellent. I highly recommend it to everyone. It's the best thing I've ever read on the Holy Spirit. And there's not a lot out there, right, Marissa, for on the reform side. You don't go to the reform section of the your church library or the sec you don't have a holy spirit section in your reformed church library usually there's just not a lot out there now if you go to your local christian bookstore and you go to the heresy section you're going to find a lot they don't call it the heresy section but you know you got to some of that um ultra charismatic and word of faith and and you're, you're going to find all kinds of stuff i think was it benny hinn had some book good morning holy spirit or something and there's just not a lot out there on the reform side. And I think this is an excellent, excellent book. I'm going to be quoting a lot from it. If I could, I'd just read, read the whole book to you today because it's so good. And if you're somebody who's wanting to understand the doctrine of the Holy Spirit from Scripture, not from the charismatic movement, but from Scripture, go pick up that book. It is just, it's based in Scripture. It is excellent, excellent. It's called Rediscovering the Holy Spirit, God's perfecting presence in creation, redemption, and everyday life. Wow. And one thing I loved about it is really from the start of the book is I think that we tend to focus on what does the Holy Spirit do for me now? And we don't often talk about the Holy Spirit's, the things that he has done throughout all of Scripture from creation on, we don't talk a lot about that. And it was very eye-opening for me. Just, you know, I knew a lot of this stuff, but you put it all together in one book and he just made some points I'd never thought about. And I think it's, the other thing I realized when I was reading the book is we need to understand the Trinity to understand the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes, and Michael Horton even talks about this, there's a tendency to see, you know, God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as this other thing. In fact, he made a wonderful, wonderful point. We call God, the Father, he, we call Jesus, he, but a lot of times people refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Yes. Yeah. That's what I heard. Instead of he, and he is um, a person yeah. of the Trinity. Right. That is so true. I, that I picked up on that uh, just listening. R. Scott Clark did an episode on this, which we had talked about. Colleen, I can't remember the name on how. And to I'm going to link that. I haven't. I'll have it in the episode resources because it's an interview about the book. But go ahead, Marissa. He made that point that we we tend to call the Holy Spirit it, and that is the worst thing we could do. This is part of the Trinity. When we f refer to Him, we should refer to Him as Him. <laughs> 
Right. Right. And, you know, one of the things we're going to be talking about later is a lot of times somebody just put a post in the group. I think it was just this morning saying the same thing. The accusation that the Reformed discount the Holy Spirit. But as we dig into this, you will see, I think we have an even more robust doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Because I think that the charismatic movement kind of puts them into a category. Michael Horton uses the term, you know, like an energy source you can plug into. The force. And, yeah. <laughs> and doesn't, doesn't see him as part of all of the story of redemption in bringing us to salvation, in sanctifying us. I mean, just so many different things. So I'm, I'm really excited to kind of dig into this deeper. And I know we're not even going to get a chance to get I, I started taking notes on this and I ended up with several pages because when I was taking notes on Horton's book and I listened to some different things, but I am because we can only get to so much because our goal here at Theology Gals is to encourage you in further study. There's going to be a lot of resources I'm going to link to because we just want to do an introduction and then we want you to go and be in God's word studying correct theology. And so please check out all the resources and definitely look into getting Michael Horton's book. So we're going to go to a commercial and we will be right back. If in you want to be a radical Christian, then you need to go to New Jersey. Not because going to New Jersey is all that, well, it's a little bit radical, but you will be a radical Christian if you attend the 10th anniversary of the Striving for Eternity conference called Jersey Fire. What makes it so radical? The preaching on the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God, the wrath of God, the mercy of God, the truth of God, the creator God. Why all that head knowledge? So that you can hit the streets with seasoned evangelists and actually apply the theology you learned. That is what makes this conference so radical. If you would like to learn a lot about God and then actually tell people about God, July 7th through the 8th, Tom's River, New Jersey, jerseyfire.org, jerseyfire.org. This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome to School of Biblical Harmonetics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on, guys? Shine as lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick Answers. Good evening and welcome to the Conversations from the port. This is the Council of Google Plus. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Ten podcasts, one network. Check them out. BibleThumpingWingnut.com. Okay, so now we're back, and one of my admins said to me, Colleen, I think you need to talk a little bit more about not only what cessationists don't believe, but what cessationists do believe. And I think I think she's right, because I neglect, last week we talked a little bit about what cessationism is. It is the belief that the miraculous gifts ceased, and we don't believe that those miraculous gifts continued on. And one of the things that Michael Horton says in the book, and I think this is an important point, it's not, it's not because we say, well, you know, we just don't think that they 
belong here anymore. It's not that. It's because of what we thought those miraculous gifts were for. And those miraculous gifts had specific purposes at, you know, at specific times in the story of redemption. And I'll, ha I'll have some resources so you can read more about that. But I think that really should be the emphasis. It's not, it's not just because we don't think they belong anymore. It's because we don't think that the reasons that they were here for mm -hmm. exist any longer. And the other thing is too, and I think this is important, that some people may not realize about cessationism. We, we believe God still performs miracles. We believe that God still heals. We believe that, that these things happen. We just don't believe that God gifts somebody with the ability to perform them. So, you know, in Hebrews, it talks about praying for the sick and, and we still do that. But, you know, we still lay hands on and pray for the sick, but we just don't think that somebody has the gift to go around and do the healing. Marissa, you had some things that you ha had talked to me about prophecy that I think were really good points. Yeah, one of the things that I've noticed uh, among people who who tend to believe in a non-stationist or maybe a continuous, uh, what's the word, continuationist? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think people say continuist or continuationist, so. Right. Um, I, I don't, I just get the impression that sometimes they'll use that, um, the the gifts which they, which we would call miraculous, um, assuming that they can, that they're in place today. A lot of times, those things are used for manipulative purposes. <laughs> they have a word from God when it's actually some gossip they may have heard about you, or <laughs> right, or or maybe um, you were talking about healing a little bit too. I think sometimes the people who would call themselves modern day prophets definitely use that for manipulative purposes, namely to, to probably line their own pockets. Yeah. So and we have to think about what does God say in scripture in Old Testament and New Testament about false prophets. That would be one of the things that, that they're greedy for selfish gain. So we just have to be really careful, not assuming that everyone who thinks they have a gift or proclaims that they have a gift themselves actually does have it word. Right. And you know, there's a verse and I'm going to look it up so I can quote it correctly because I think it is really, it, and you have talked about some of those verses, but this one is one that comes to my mind often. And it's from Matthew 24, 24 for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive if possible, even the elect. So here it's even saying that they may even perform great signs and wonders, but it's for the purpose of deception. And they may even deceive the elect. Sometimes people are just looking, looking for the right answer. They're looking for, you know, some, some miraculous thing, something that's going to save them. And that's not a bad thing to look for. It's just who are we looking to for those things? What are our assumptions about that? Right. And it almost seems to me that sometimes in the charismatic movement that there's more emphasis on that person right, who that, the person. does these miracles. Mm -hmm. So who does it, 
who is the spirit that's working and what is what is the motive you know it's interesting as far as healing is concerned uh we were studying i believe it was acts chapter three a couple of weeks ago on church and one of the things that the pastor brought out which i think is so important is that when a healing occurred in scripture the purpose was always to lay the foundation to preach the gospel who to the people who had seen it who had witnessed it it was, not, that was, it was not just to say oh look what we did or look even at what god did as far as a miracle that's a wonderful miraculous thing but that's not the point <laughs> The point is the God who did it is the God who came to redeem his people. Right. And you see that with all the miraculous gifts in in scripture. I won't get into a long discussion on tongues. I can put some stuff on there and what tongues really was, but it really was unknown languages for the purpose of preaching the gospel. All of these miraculous gifts, they weren't for an experience. They were for the furthering of the gospel. Exactly. It's part of redemptive history. Yes, exactly. And I have a bunch of um, links that I'll put. I may have to do a whole episode just on cessationism at some point, just kind of respond to some of these things. But it's just important to know that we do believe that God does miracles. We believe it's a miracle every time that he takes somebody who's dead in their trespasses and sins and makes them alive with Christ. That is a miracle right there. But we believe that God does perform miracles and and we believe he can heal people. We just don't believe that the reasons for gifting people with the miraculous gifts are necessary any longer. One thing, Colleen, that I did want to say, mm -hmm. we were discussing, uh, I, I guess it would fall into the category of prophecy, not necessarily for telling the future, but just telling the truth. <laughs> T telling the truth to people, forth telling. Um, mm -hmm. I had a discussion with a lady a few years ago who basically, I, we were having a discussion about scripture and she disagreed not only with the doctrine that we were discussing, but she, she just was in denial that scripture mattered at all. She said, she told me, I don't need scripture because the Holy Spirit teaches me. Oh, wow. And I told her, I said, uh, what I said to her is if the spirit who is teaching you something is contrary to scripture, that is not the Holy Spirit. That is another spirit. Absolutely. Calvin had said something about that. And let's see if I can find the quote, because it was really, it said it so well as Calvin often does. And then John Owen said basically the same thing. He said, if you, and I know that um, in the last episode about the subject, the John Owen quote came up, but basically if, if the word or the private interpretation or private message you're getting is consistent with scripture, it's unnecessary. And if it contradicts scripture, it's false. <laughs> exactly. And that's worth repeating because that's such an important, important point. And I love this because it fits into what you were talking about. And Horton says it in the book. He says, the formula that Calvin employs is inwardly by his spirit, outwardly by his word. And one thing that 
that the Spirit does is bring us understanding of His Word. Exactly. He, he illuminates. I think Jesus even, I can't tell you the reference, but I think Jesus even told the disciples that when he left, the Holy Spirit would bring the things that he taught them to their remembrance. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing that I, I think the thing that we're really fighting against today is misunderstandings, misunderstanding the Holy Spirit. And I did a lot of study for this episode. And one thing I'm really, really even more convinced of now is that because of the influence of the charismatic movement, not just in charismatic circles, but also in modern evangelicalism. And I think it's really kind of seeped its way into maybe even our circles in some way. I think that those misunderstandings have really given us a wrong idea about the Holy Spirit and about who he is. As I had said earlier, you know, how Horton says that people have this idea that it's this thing we plug into this this you know power source we plug into to get certain emotions or feelings or experiences and if you look at scripture that's that's not the right idea of what the spirit is i like that gary gilly quote you had mentioned yes you should you should read that cuz if you have it i do in relation to our subject, we must th thoroughly wrestle with the question of how we know or who or what we have encountered in our subjective experiences. All the information we have about God and our relationship to him is found in the Bible. And that's Gary Gilley. And I'll link that because he has he has an excellent, excellent article. It, the focus really is kind of whether God gives us secret messages, but there's so much good in that. Somebody was kind of upset with me because of some things I said about it, about mysticism, but there is a lot of, there actually is a lot of mysticism that's kind of come into American evangelicalism. And I even have a quote that Gary Gilley uses when he's quoting Martin Lloyd-Jones, but it's it really kind of makes that point. Let us imagine I follow the mystic way. I begin to have experiences. I think God is speaking to me. How do I know it is God who is speaking to me? How can I know I'm not speaking to man? How can I be sure that I'm not the victim of hallucinations since this has happened to many of the mystics? If I believe in mysticism, as such, without the Bible, how do I know I am not being deluded by Satan as an angel of light in order to keep me from the true and living God? I have no standard. The evangelical doctrine tells me not to look into myself, but to look into the word of God, not to examine myself, but to look at the revelation that has been given to me. It tells me that God can only be known in his own way, the way which he has been revealed in the scriptures themselves. Exactly. That is good. And even if you think, well, I, I'm not really like a total mystic, but, you know, some of that stuff. But if you really think about, if you're going to bring that to its full, you know, conclusion here, if you're going to emphasize on what things you think God is telling you secretly outside of scripture, you have to be very careful because that can end up becoming your standard instead of the word of God. 
That is so true. What is your standard? And how do you know if it's true or false? Right. So everything has to line up with God's word. And I know some people would say, but the things that I think God tells me aren't contrary to scripture because God told me to go and give my neighbor $20. And that's a good thing. That's not contrary to scripture. But I think even still, if you think that God is giving you these secret messages, now giving your neighbor $20 if they're in need, it may be a good thing. And you can find in scripture, you know, that we are to help the poor and and um, be charitable and things like that. But the problem is if you start thinking that God is giving you secret messages, then what do you do with it when God does give you something that is contrary to scripture? Well, we know that's not God. <laughs> right, exactly. And Marissa, do you see the Donald Whitney quote? Because I think that's another really good one. We have the word of God, the full and closed canon. The evangelistic method of Jesus and the apostles was not to urge people to seek direct, direct experiences with God. Instead, they went about preaching and teaching scriptures. And he references Mark 1, 14 and 15. And Jesus did not say that once we have spiritual life, we live by direct mystical experience with God, rather we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, verse 4. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the men of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. That includes the good work of growing in the knowledge of God and, the like and likeness to Christ. So in scripture, the normative method of meeting God is through scripture. That's really good. The normative method of meeting God is through scripture. So it's not just going and sitting in your prayer closet all by yourself. And it's also, Colleen, I'm, as, you're, as we're talking about this, it brings to my mind, too, um, one of the discussions that, that I think one of the ladies was having about, um, well, what if it's just a mundane you know, I'm looking for God's will. <laughs> um, I think it's, I think the same way you can't be looking for God to be audibly speaking to you or even in your conscience speaking. If there's an opportunity you have that can just be providence. If it's not against or contrary to God's will, go for it. <laughs> right. And do it. <laughs> the Lord will close the door if it's not meant to be. I was talking to another lady friend um, about this the other day, and I remembered um, there's a John Flavel quote. You've probably heard it before. Yes. It says, the providence of God is like Hebrew words. It can only be read backwards. So oh, I like that. If the Lord um, has something for you, a lot of times we're only going to know that by looking back, <laughs> looking at our history. Right. Like I can say it was God's will for me to marry my husband, Brenton. Yeah. <laughs> and don't start questioning that. Right. Right. <laughs> and I have actually seen ladies say, I had a woman say, do you think I married the wrong man? Do you yeah. think I didn't follow God's will and maybe I married the wrong man? And I said, well, obviously it's God's will because you are married to him. So just because you're not happy right now 
does not mean that it's not God's will. Because God doesn't say, follow my will and I, and I promise you perfect happiness, you know. And if you don't, I'll make you miserable. I mean, that, there's, there's no verse like that. And I, I love what Donald Whitney says, too, here, that the method of Jesus and the apostles was not to urge people to seek direct experiences with God. You know, they were, they were pointing people to the word of God. Absolutely. And yeah. it goes back to what you were saying before. It's not about our emotions. It's not about a feeling. Right. It's about knowing. And we can know by reading God's word. Yes, exactly. And, you know, R. Scott Clark has a series on the, on the Holy Spirit. It's, it's on his, his blog, the Heidel blog, which I will link. I think there's three in the series. And he makes, I thought, just an excellent, excellent point where he says messages outside of Scripture are not consistent with Reformed theology. So what R. Scott Clark says is the Reformed theology and piety begins with the sufficiency of Scripture. We talked about last week God's Word saying that everything necessary for life and godliness is in God's Word. If we are looking for messages outside of Scripture, then we are saying that God's Word is not sufficient. And Reformed theology and piety begins with the sufficiency of Scripture. And he says Pentecostalism, certainly in the charismatic theology and piety, to a lesser degree, begin explicitly or implicitly with the insufficiency of Scripture. I mean, think about that for a second. So Pentecostalism begins with the insufficiency of Scripture. You need to go look for this over here because Scripture, I mean, it's okay, but we really need this other stuff over here. And, and we begin with, no, the Word of it is sufficient, that God's Word is sufficient. And the union of Reformed theology and these movements is achieved by radically redefining Reformed theology by reducing it to a single element, divine sovereignty, and by adding that to Pentecostalism or charismatic piety. I'm going to get in a lot of trouble here, but I think that this is a super important point that Clark is making. I think a lot of people are saying, okay, well, the Reformed continuationists and are saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm Reformed or I'm Calvinistic and I just add some continuationism to that. But he actually says, no, that's not what it is. You are taking charismatic theology and just adding an element of God's sovereignty to that. Because if you are a charismatic Calvinist, you cannot start with the sufficiency of Scripture. And Reformed theology starts with the sufficiency of Scripture. Sola Scriptura. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. That is, I, that is such an important... I, this keeps coming up. What does reformed mean? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I, I know there's going to be a lot of objections to that. Oh, I believe in sola scriptura. But, you know, I just think that God still uses these other things. I, I know that there will be that objection. But Please what? read this series by R. Scott Clark, because I think he argues why that is not reformed. So helpful. Yeah. So we're going to answer. I... I jotted down some of the notes, not all of them, but a few of the objections that I heard to last week's episode. And Marissa, will you read that first one? So 
I was interested in listening to this week's podcast because it talked about personal revelation, a.k.a. God speaking directly to us. I was disappointed that no mention was made of the Holy Spirit. I'm wondering if I just missed it or if it was left out on purpose. Wondering how the Spirit guides us if we have no direct word from God through any kind of feeling like, should I preach the gospel to my friend or change churches or move across the country again against my preference. I guess I'm asking what I'm asking is the difference between the spirit and dwelling us and getting feelings about what we should do for certain choices in our lives. Not talking about, I heard God's voice speaking directly to me thing. And first of all, I do want to say, my focus last week was the sufficiency of scripture. I had wanted to talk more about the Holy Spirit and Ashley and I probably could have had a three hour episode to get to everything that I had wanted to. And we really try to keep it at about an hour. So I'm sorry that last week we did not talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. And that's what we're talking about today. And this is where I'm going to say, I think our idea of what the job of the Holy Spirit is I think we have some very wrong ideas. Now, I had told a story last week that I told my husband I will move. We wanted to move somewhere where he could have Sundays off. We were convicted about the Sabbath. He he works for United Airlines. He had to work on, he only got about one or two Sundays off a month. We felt like he needed to have every Sunday off. We had several cities we could move to. I mean, we looked at Indianapolis. He even put transfers in to Indianapolis and Nebraska and Denver. And I told him I will move anywhere but Denver, but we decided to put that transfer in. Now, one week before I was going to give birth to our first child, we were living in Chicago at the time, by the way, we get a call that offered him the job in Omaha. And they said, if you take it, you have to be here in two weeks. Okay, I'm a week away from my due date. There was no way. There was just no, it was not possible. And we had to turn it down. So obviously, it was not the Lord's will for us to move out there. And we had found a wonderful church there, something we hadn't even found in Denver yet. Found this wonderful church. We liked it. But it came at a time that was just not possible. Now, he was able, he could resubmit a transfer later on. So we knew that we could still do that. And then all of a sudden, and this was just so amazing. Our lease was about to be up and we were decide we had actually decided we would just continue on a month to month lease where we were living. And my son was about eight months old and they called and gave us Denver. And we knew that, that Omaha probably was not going to come around anytime soon at that point. We knew Indianapolis probably wasn't going to come around anytime soon at that point. And we felt convicted about the Sabbath. We were following God's word. And it actually came, they said, can you be here in two weeks? And our last day at our apartment before we moved to Denver was literally the last day of our lease. I mean, if God did not plan out those steps, I mean, what really, what are the chances of that? You know, so we didn't have to even pay an extra month, we were able to afford to move to Denver. It didn't put us in a really rough situation because, you know, when you move, you've got moving expenses. You've got a security deposit on your new rental and first month's 
rent and you know you have all these expenses and the lord just really orchestrated even the money i mean the, somebody even gave us a gift which completely covered what money it was a surprise gift of money that completely covered what how, what we weren't sure how we were going to afford we thought we were going to have to put it on a credit card we didn't want to do that and just the lord really orchestrated things you know what i didn't feel good about denver but i did know I could hold on to what I knew, and that was that we needed to honor the Sabbath, and this was the place that we could live where my husband would not have to work on Sundays. So I know that probably doesn't answer your question, but the Holy let me get into the Holy Spirit a little bit here. The Holy Spirit is at work in so many different things. So, you know, for me, Marissa, I have times where, you know, I kind of feel I feel a little something, maybe a little tugging at my heart that I need to go reach out to that person over there. You know, I saw a girl in the group one day and she just seemed to really be struggling. And I I felt, I think I need to go write that girl. And I'm not prepared to say God told me to write that girl though. But I did go and write her. And I wasn't doing anything opposed to scripture. Like you were saying earlier, Marissa, just do it. If you feel like something is the right thing to do, it is not contrary to scripture. In fact, you know, loving a sister is is consistent with scripture. And, and I wrote her and it turned out she really needed someone to talk to at that moment. So obviously that was the Lord's will. And it is not our wrong. I, it, again, I am terrible with addresses in scripture. The, the references seem to escape me, but there is somewhere where that does say the Holy Spirit leads us. We're led by the Spirit. Yes. Yes. So if you feel you should do something that's not contrary to God's word, then. And you have the means to do it. You have the resources to do it. Do it. Yes, absolutely. Wisdom is not contrary to God's word either or the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Yeah. And actually God gives us wisdom. We know that from scripture too. He brings these these spiritual concepts and truths to our memory. Yes. And that's another thing that the Holy Spirit actually does. I had talked on the Mother's Day episode that I was really struggling with sometimes being angry with my children. They weren't listening. I had several young children. They weren't listening. I would get frustrated. I would get angry. And in my anger, I would say things that I should not. And in that time, I was really convicted when I read Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. I memorized that, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit, brought that verse to mind. I think he still brings it to my mind almost daily. Praise the Lord, that's conviction, too. (laughs) And that's a job of the Holy Spirit right there. I mean, I don't think we discount the Holy Spirit and the Reformed, I think we actually attribute far more to the Holy Spirit. He convicts us. He redeems us. He sanctifies us. He leads us. And he assures us. So do you have anything else to say in that qu- in that objection? No, I think that we okay. pretty much cov- covered her concerns. Yeah, and I think when we're, we're going to get into the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and that may answer a little bit more, too. Yes. So Another one that was said, and I think this one's just a misunderstanding of what this passage means. And, you know, what about John 10, 27? Mm -hmm. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So, Marissa, does that mean literally that we hear his his voice? Probably. Probably not. 
Right. Uh, I'm thinking about, um, I think this could very well be the effectual call. It's, I mean, if you think about Lazarus, who he re, um, he had been dead for three days, the Lord rose him up. He said, Lazarus, come forth. He, a dead man suddenly was made alive and heard his voice. They recognize him. You know what? I was actually thinking very specifically and thinking about the work of the Spirit. Let's look at Ephesians 2. You know, it says, it talks about for those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, they are made alive in Christ. Yeah. So this is something that the Spirit does. He takes somebody who is dead and we're literally dead, dead in our trespasses and sins. We are, we have no ability whatsoever on our own to make ourselves alive. That's not something that can happen. We can't just make ourselves alive, but he makes us alive in Christ. That's what the Spirit does. He regenerates us. He makes us alive in Christ. And if you go read through the rest of Ephesians 2, you know, it says, for by grace you are saved. Yes. So it, it says all this and says, so it's not by what you've done. But then it says a little further on, it we have Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that talks about by grace we are saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works. Let any man should boast. So there again, that's the spirit working and even ephesians 10 for we are his workmanship in christ jesus created to do good works and that's our sanctification all of this are things that the spirit is working in us and to accomplish the fruit of the spirit as well yes again that's another thing so if you think about we have a lot of things in scripture that talk about like a tree firmly planted these are all things that the spirit does when the spirit is sanctifying us, it produces fruit. And we aren't producing that fruit ourselves. The spirit is producing that fruit within us. So we're getting kind of into some of these other ones, but let me do this one. Sometimes I feel the Lord leading me to do something. Am I supposed to follow that? And we kind of talked a little bit about that. We did. Just go for it. If it's not opposed to God's word, go for it. <laughs> right. If you think... You know, I think I need to go do this. I think I, I need to get a babysitter. I kind of feel like I should get a babysitter tonight for my kids and spend, go out on a date with my husband. You know, you got the money to do it and and you have the resources and it's not anything contrary to God's word. I think it's, yes, go for it. And that we had talked about Kevin DeYoung's book that's called Just Do Something. Yes, just and do it. It's really it. that same idea. Yes, exactly. How exactly does the Holy Spirit work in our lives? And I think we've been talking about this. He works in our lives from redemption. You know, he redeems us. He gives us faith. He sanctifies us. He regenerates us. Yeah, he regenerates us. He guides our steps. He gives us wisdom. He produces fruit. And he comforts and assures us of our salvation. That's, you know what? That's another girl. I'm glad you brought that up because that is, very important. He gives us assurance of salvation. He comforts us when we're suffering. He reminds us of the word of God. He gives us understanding of the word of God. He uses the, God, the word of God in our lives. And he intercedes for us when we pray. Yes, that's a really good one. Oh, and the, another one too, Michael Horton talked about, he unites us to Christ. 
you know, we've talked before about union with Christ, and we're going to be doing an episode on sanctification, but the Spirit unites us to Christ. Jesus is the new creation, and baptism with the Spirit is union with Christ. I'm not going to talk a lot about baptism of the Holy Spirit, but this is from Horton's book. And says, we have seen how the Spirit gave us Christ in the incarnation, life, death, resurrection, ascension. The Spirit unites us to Christ, to our humanity, and then after glorifying that humanity, unites us to Christ as our federal head. In Romans 6, Paul's answer to the question, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound, is to give more gospel. All who are united to Christ in his death for forgiveness are united to him in his resurrection for new creation, life. One is either in Christ or not, but one cannot choose which aspects of his saving work to embrace. So when he is work, when the spirit is doing all those things, we don't say, well, I think in the charismatic movement, there's a lot of emphasis about our cooperating with the spirit, but the Spirit does these works in the lives of those that He indwells. It's not, you don't have to cooperate with the Spirit to be regenerated, to be sanctified. Those things He will do in the lives of His people. Yes, it's a sure thing. Yes, like I know in the Reform side when we talk about sanctification, and we often say that sanctification is a necessary consequence. So because we're united to Christ, because he is working in us, we will be sanctified. We, we can't help it. We will desire obedience. We will grow in obedience. If Jesus it goes back to that whole argument, if Jesus is your Savior, he's also your Lord. And the Holy Spirit is the one who causes us to walk in that. And Christ's Lordship. Yeah, to walk in newness of life. The Holy Spirit that also, to go back to uh, some of his roles, which we were talking about before, he seals us for, for redemption. I mean, that's the seal, that's the promise that we have, not just eternal life, knowing we have eternal life in this lifetime, but that he will certainly take us home to glory it's the fact that he never he never leaves us that's a seal the assurance of our salvation and you also just reminded me of something in that the holy spirit works within the means of grace yes so that means the preached word he mm -hmm. he worked through the preached word in the sacraments and baptism and the lord's supper the Holy Spirit works in them. You know, on the Reformed side, we call those a sign and seal. Yes. And that's because of the Holy Spirit's work. I wanted to read the Heidelberg Catechism. Yes, I love that. On what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, that he is co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Secondly, that he is also given to me by true faith makes me a partaker of Christ and all his benefits, comforts me, and shall abide with me forever. I love that. I love the Heidelberg Catechism. <laughs> I think that really says it all, you know, that really is a good a good explanation of 
of what the Holy Spirit is. And I had said earlier that I think that we forget that the Holy Spirit was at work throughout all of redemptive history. He didn't just, he wasn't an afterthought at Pentecost. You know, he was, he was there at the creation of the world and through all of the story of redemption. And he was at work through all of the story of redemption. And he's co-eternal. He wasn't something that came along later. He's co-eternal with God the Father and Christ the Son. I think Michael Horton said in the interview with Scott Clark, too, whenever you see fruitfulness in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is associated with that. What the, um, the Spirit hovered upon the face of the waters at creation. Right. That he... Um, he was actively involved in the conception of the the virgin birth, the conception. Right. Yeah, that it was the Holy Spirit who came upon Mary. So, and, and then he's the one who causes us to bear fruit in our lives. And that would include in the Old Testament when you see the psalmist being convicted of his sin. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin and brings us to repentance. Right. And then it, when the Heidelberg says, secondly, that he is also given to me by true faith, makes me a partaker of Christ and all his benefits, comforts me and shall abide with me forever. And here again, uh, the Holy Spirit does so much. And I won't get into this a lot, but I'm going to again say, please read Michael Horton's book. But even in the church, his work at the in the church, because one thing that... Michael Horton talks about is in the charismatic movement, the greater emphasis is on the individuality, the individual experience, the individual relationship of God. But the Holy Spirit actually plays into our ecclesiology, our doctrine of the church, his work in uniting us with Christ and to one another in the church. So important. Um, I found this great quote, and I'm going to link this article from Kim Riddlebarger because I, I think this is really good. I'm, I won't say all the verses, but the, he's got a ton of verses in this in this quote. But the Holy Spirit is the author of our sanctification from First Peter one two. He seals us unto the day of redemption, Ephesians one thirteen and fourteen, ensuring that the work God has begun in us will reach completion. Ephesians 4.30. It is through the Holy Spirit that the prophets and apostles spoke, 1 Peter 1.11. And Peter proclaims that prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. Finally, there are those verses which speak of the work of the Spirit in uniting believers to Jesus Christ, enabling them to approach God without fear. The Holy Spirit is described by Paul as a spirit of prayer, Romans 8, 15 and 16, it is the spirit who unites us to Christ and enables us to cry out to God. It is the spirit's work to ensure that the saving benefits of Christ become ours. Thank so helpful. Wow, that's great. That I thought that was so powerful. It really just describes. So what do we think the spirit does? You know, that he really describes right there so many ways that we believe that the spirit works. Basically, the Holy Spirit is responsible for everything uh, associated with our salvation. <laughs> it's everything. Right. 
when I said earlier, I think we have a more robust doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The reason I said that is because we talk a lot about being monergists. Yes. Believe that God does everything. Even in sanctification, the, the Westminster Confession says that sanctification is a work of God's free grace. So while we do obey, it is not in cooperation with God, it is a result of God's grace that he has already extended to us. And we we rely on the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit's work through all of redemption, from leading us to Christ to to the redemption that he gives us, making us alive in Christ when we are dead in our trespasses and sins, in the grace that he gives us to have faith in him. We don't muster up that faith on our own. The Holy Spirit's at work in us that we may have faith to bringing us to repentance, to sanctifying us. You know, and we talked about Ephesians 2 that says that we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works. All of it is what the Holy Spirit is doing to bring about God's plan in our in our lives. And I like how I use, use the word um, fruit. It's something, it's not, uh, I wouldn't call that synergistic. I would call that organic. If you're, if you're attached to Christ, if, if the Holy Spirit has united you with Christ, the organic nature of that would, would suggest and imply that we bear fruit. Right. It's not, it's not a maybe. <laughs> it's a, it's right. a thing, yeah. Because we know that because we've been justified, we are being sanctified. Right. That it is necessary. It's not necessary that we do something. It's necessary in that, that this is part of the work that God does in us in uniting us to Christ. And, you know, one thing, some people, you know, wonder why I talk about mysticism. And, again, from Horton's book. But he, he talks about this the spirituality of the secular, secularized West. And he talks about this thing to get in touch with ourselves. You know, it's very inward. Everything is very, very inward. And, you know, I think that's sometimes in that charismatic mysticism, the, the focus is, is very just inward and it's, it really is another, it's kind of a Christian form of this secular, secularized spirituality that we see. It's a, it's a self-focus. It's a, rather than being Christ or gospel-centered, it's self-centered. Right. And R. Scott Clark talks about it's this quest for immediate experience of the Holy Spirit. It's, that's very self-centered. That's how we should determine all of our doctrine, all of it whether we're talking about the Holy Spirit or anything else, what is the centrality of it? Right. Is it to experience something? Is it Christ or you? Right. And one more, I promise this will be my last from Michael Horton, but he says, I think that much of the polarization on this topic today is due ironically to a shared assumption of this erroneous conception of how the spirit works. And I think the emphasis so much is the spirit is the spirit's work is all about giving us experience and certain emotions. That's not the emphasis of the spirit. No. Ultimately, it's 
to bring glory to God through what he has done. And for what he's done, yes. Because even our salvation is is ultimately for God's glory. Exactly. And even if you think about the uh, the fruit of the Spirit being, uh, there, there are two different ones that I'm thinking of um, that would suggest emotion. And one is joy and the other is peace. I was just going to say those two. <laughs> I was going to say there is there is emotion. We we hear about the peace that passes understanding. But even those things point us back to Christ. We have joy because of Christ and what He's done for us, and we have peace knowing that we have adoption. I mean that we that we're accepted in the beloved. If that doesn't give you joy, I don't know what would. But that again, those right. come as a result of the Holy Spirit. And our union. But our, our mm-hmm. understanding, our understanding of of God's word and his work and the peace that we have. Have you ever had a situation, Marissa, that on the surface like should have you in great depression and that the Lord and yet the Lord gives you this abundant peace about it? Yeah, most of those things, and it's interesting that you brought that up because the Lord um, was showing me, uh, is it in the same chapter as the the Beatitudes that he goes on to say that you're going to experience persecution? There's a verse where the Lord said, when this happens to you, leap for joy. Yeah, just (laughs) just like in James where it says... You know, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Joy. Like, what? (laughs) I said, I told um, a brother in crisis the other day, I said, the Lord's going to have to teach me how to do that. Because looking back at it, I can leap for joy. But when I'm in it, I'm not so good. Right. I think I talked about this in my, in the episode, the Mother's Day episode. And maybe that, I think maybe this will just be a good example of what we're talking about but um and i'm going to try not to cry this time but my oldest son (laughs) my you know my oldest son does not is not a christian and when we realized this my first inclination was what can i do to make him believe I need to find some way to convince him to believe that. I mean, maybe I would not have said it that way, but in my mind, you know, I was like, oh, I need, I need to do something to make him believe. I need to explain it well enough to give him the right evidences to convince him. But you know what the Holy Spirit did do? The Holy Spirit convicted me right? that I was trusting. And I think I did this a lot through my children's years. I trusted in myself for my children's salvation. If I raise them correctly, if I homeschool them, if I take them to church, if we have family worship, if we pray at night, if we, I can go on and on about all that. If we do this, then my children will grow up to be obedient men who love God. Now, maybe I would not have said that, but I can tell you that inside of me, I did think that. I did think if I did everything right, that my children would grow up 
to be obedient Christians who loved God and walked with the Lord. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit convicted me of that. And I had to repent because I was trusting in myself. I was not trusting in the Lord. I was not trusting in the work of the Lord and the work of the Holy Spirit. But something truly amazing happened when, when I came to that realization through the Holy Spirit and was convicted and repented. And that's that the Holy Spirit gave me peace. Yeah. And yeah. even though I knew it intellectually at that moment that I could trust in the Lord, he did give me an abundance of peace that made no sense. And a friend of mine even said to me, well, you don't seem that upset. You know, when I, I talked to her after I'd kind of gone through this whole little process and and I said, because the Lord has given me peace and I trust him. And yes, That's I'm it. heartbroken. I'm heartbroken. I cried on the last episode over my, my son's lack of salvation. So of course I'm heartbroken, but I have peace that the Holy Spirit has given me. That is so good. I, I, I understand your feeling um, having a child who does not profess faith in Christ either. That's a hard one. We just, we have to trust the Lord with that. It's um, one of the things that I, I don't want to say God told me this, <laughs> but one of the things that I, the thought that came to my mind is that, you know, it's crazy. It's dysfunctional to believe that God has the power to save you. But then when you think about your children, that goes away. That's right. <laughs> and, if, and if you have a child who does not believe today, the Lord may have a specific purpose for saving them later. And if we know ourselves, I don't know about you, Colleen, but a lot of times the Lord brings people down before he brings them up. And that's yes. scary. That's the scary thing for me is to think, what do my kids have to go through before? What is, what is the Lord going to bring into their life that is painful before they're going to trust him? That's scary to me. But at the same time, I know that he's done that in my life and it was for my own good and for God's glory. Cause that's the time that you realize that it is God there is no synergism about it. It is God who works in you. Right. So that he gets all the glory and we get none of the glory. Mm -hmm. And God in his sovereignty, I, I realize that there's so many working parts, you know. So here, my, my son's situation, the Lord has actually used it in my life for good. Yes. God in his wisdom and power and sovereignty is working so many different things that we don't even see. And he may use it in so many different ways. It really is, like I said before in the other episode, it's an exercise in learning to trust him. But he helps us trust him. I, I had moments where I had to be on my knees before the Lord, begging God, confessing, I don't trust you in this, Lord. So exactly. you're going to have to help me trust you. Exactly. Because we can't trust him on our own. No, nope, that's a good place to come to realize, okay, Lord, I'm done. I can't do it. I, just help me stop trying and wait for you. That's what, that's what the psalmist said. He said he was in this miry 
clay. And finally, he waited patiently for the Lord, and the Lord is the one who brought him up out of that pit and placed his feet upon a rock. All of these things, the Holy Spirit is at work in. And my encouragement, I even this episode, I have so much more that we weren't able to get to. We could probably talk for two more hours on this or more. But I have so many resources. I really want to encourage you ladies in something. I want to encourage you to go and study about the Holy Spirit, to understand everything that the Holy Spirit does. If you really want to understand this, go buy Michael Horton's book. It is so good. I I love Michael Horton anyways, and I finished reading the book this morning, and then I sat and thought, this might be one of my new favorites from Michael Horton, because I, I... Putting Amazing Back into Grace was my introduction to Reformed Theology after I was a Calvinist. That will always be one of my favorites. It was life-changing. And he has so many other great books. Christless Christianity is very good. And Christ the Lord. Don't forget that one. Right. Christ the Lord. And we're going to be doing an episode talking about that subject. Christ the Lord, The Reformation and Lordship Salvation is a book that Michael Horton edited it is one of another it's actually one of my favorite books it's got several contributors and it's it's very very good let me think some of the contributors so michael horton contributes and kim rillebarger i believe robert strimple and some lutherans actually a couple friends of mine rick ritchie rod rosenblatt i think gene beath and Excellent, excellent book if you want to understand the Lordship Salvation controversy. Actually, let's go to a commercial. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about that for two minutes because I need to get a commercial in. And we're going to wrap up with talking about that for a second. Okay, so we'll be right back. Looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach? Look no further. At TrackedPlanet.com, we have solid biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out. They are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available. With over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new tract just for you. We are committed to the solid biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith in salvation. Come check us out at TrackedPlanet.com and make sure you use coupon code BTWN at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's TRACTPlanet.com, coupon code BTWN. This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome to the School of Biblical Harmonetics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on, guys? Shine as lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick Answers. Good evening and welcome to the Conversations from the port. This is the Council of Google Plus. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. <laughs> the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Ten podcasts, one network. Check them out. BibleThumpingWingnut.com. 
Okay, so we're back. Since we brought up that book, I did want to just say, I know that there's a lot of misunderstandings out there about Lordship Salvation, and we're going to do a whole episode on that. Marissa and I have even been talking about that, because she has an idea for a guest. We don't know if he's going to come on, but we're hopeful he will. If he isn't able to, I have a couple other ideas for guests on the subject. Marissa, I really appreciate you coming on to talk about this, since Ashley's gone in Italy. I'm sure she's having a wonderful time. I've been seeing her pictures, a little envious because it's it's beautiful and she's seeing so many amazing things. But I'm glad that you'll be with us next week too. Um, and I should probably mention that next week we're going to be talking about abuse and the church. And so we have a, a special guest, going to be a very special guest who's written on this topic quite a bit. He's very, very knowledgeable. He's a pastor. And... We think it's a really important topic because it keeps coming up in the group and in private messages that I get. And this episode, we are going to be focusing more on domestic abuse, domestic violence, and how the church should respond to it. And I'm, I don't have it scheduled yet, but we're also going to be doing an episode with a guest on how we should deal with sexual abuse in the church. You know, looking at scripture, how should we deal with these situations? Do we contact the authorities? We're gonna answer questions like that when we talk about that and how we can help victims of abuse. And so I'm, I'm excited about that episode. We already recorded it. I'm really glad that Marissa could join because she, you, you really have worked with some people in that situation, right, Marissa? Yeah, well, yeah, I've worked with people in all kinds of domestic violence situations, child abuse situations, and spiritual abuse situations. And one thing I'm going to actually, which I say next week, but maybe in preparation, it's a good idea. Find out if your denomination has policies. Marissa's in the PCA, and she was able to find her denominational policies. I believe that at the Southern Baptist Convention has policies, but I've found out recently that some churches are not following their denominational policies. But it's good to know, you know, what your denomination has on the books for how to deal with those things so that you're prepared when they come up. So I'm glad that we were able to do that episode also. Well, I appreciate you guys joining us and we will see you next week.